Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome to Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. I'm your host, Abby, and we are so excited to be here today. We're actually going to do something a little different because we all know what's going on in our little our world in the Houston area and everyone in the U.S. for that matter in the world knows what happened at uh, Santa Fe last week. So uh, we took a little detour and we really wanted to talk about the shooting and how parents and teachers and people can help themselves and help children cope and help heal with everything that's going on. So today we have Michael Fisher, who is a counselor, and we'll also have Dr. Candace Dunn, who is an internal medicine physician. We're going to talk to them about all things included in that. So if you're watching on Facebook or listening live, and if you have questions about it, post it on Vinyl Draft Radio's Facebook page and interact with us. Ask your questions. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to answer those along the way. Um, I also wanted to invite you to like our Facebook page. We have a new Your Health Matters with Abby Lee Facebook page. I posted a ton of information there for parents, for anyone in the community who wants to help out and be a part of any of the fundraisers happening because there are events and things happening every single day (laughs) in -hmm. multiple locations all over the place. So I was going to list out a bunch of things, but we'll be here probably 30 minutes talking about all of these and the phone numbers. So you you guys just go to my Facebook page. It's Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. There's a ton of resources on there with contact information, but First and foremost, I wanted to talk to Michael about, he's a counselor. Why don't you tell it, we're gonna talk a little bit about how parents can talk to their kids. What are the warning signs? What are the symptoms? When you should see a counselor and how you should really um, approach a conversation with a child. All right, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. All right, well, see, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, currently the director of social services at Cypress Creek Hospital in Houston. Um, okay. Very long background, um, been doing this for about 18 years. Um, I pretty much talked to any type of, uh, anywhere from kids to adults about any type of trauma, any type of events that they may have throughout their entire life, uh, including uh, inpatient, outpatient, military, first responders, kids, it really didn't make a difference, um, even child protection services. Um, so ultimately, uh, most of my uh, professional experience has been trauma-related in some way, shape, or form. So it's perfect that you're on today and mm-hmm. talk about the trauma of, of everything because different people will react differently. Mm-hmm. Some people were in the room. Some people are parents of the kids that were affected. Some parents are mourning the loss of a child some know those people so there's just all sorts of people that are that are responding emotionally to all of this so let's let's talk about that so how can parents talk to their kids about the shootings I think the easiest, quote-unquote easiest way, is just to be very direct with the kids. Um, Don't push the issue, but on the same hand, make them feel comfortable and safe. When you're looking at after an event, uh, uh, any type of traumatic event, especially something like this, you want to make the the person feel safer. You want to get back to those those previous normalities, you know, dinner time, bedtime, uh, as much as possible, because the reaction that they have, they're having very normal reactions for a very abnormal event. You know, make sure that they feel safe enough to be able to talk to it so um all right so what are the are there coping mechanisms that parents can use to help their kids 
a lot of it's going to be just the just the support of the family un, the family unit as well as just their just their overall uh, support networks that are already hopefully already existing. Um, schools have I know there's a number of community resources that are available. Uh, anything from a, 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 if you're a spiritual person, your church group to your football team, sports team to even again just the family unit itself, uh, being able to really kind of pull into those resources and, and kind of use them to help uh, to find that balance again, that emotional balance that gets shaken so much during an event like this so if there's a parent that's listening that has a kid that went to santa fe high school maybe wasn't in the art class but they ran out from a class what would you tell them to look for um if if there's something that that is they're acting what's what's normal and what's abnormal i guess is my question (laughs) fair enough fair enough um i always get leery of the way uh when people use the word normal so because really no such thing as a normal um so really we're looking for what is normal for that person and for that kid um looking for changes in behavior if for example a kid is a very outgoing type person if suddenly they're really quiet they don't want to go anywhere that's a little bit of a flag you know what's going on and the same hand um, if a kid is generally not a very talkative person just because they don't want to talk doesn't mean that again that's a flag you want to be aware but you don't want to be hyper aware you want to just you want to give the kid uh, the kiddos enough time to process through everything and feel safe enough to do it so should you ask the kid to uh, talk through their story should you engage in as much conversation as possible i would say it's going to be case by case but i say, i typically say no um, what you usually want to do after something like this is again you want to get back to the normalcy you want to get back to making them feel safe um, and predictability is the easiest way to do that you know like I say if, if dinner time is always at five o'clock then dinner time should always be at five o'clock and, you know going back to those going back to those normal patterns of behavior if they're supposed to go to bed at you know nine or ten o'clock then you want them to get back into those whole patterns of behavior because it help help them to reset their internal clocks um, help to be able to process to really kind of key up uh, 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 key down those uh, those hypervigilant feelings those anxiety feelings so are there certain parts of the conversation that parents should have with their kids if they're scared to go back to school or they feel frightened or anything along those lines, like certain trigger words that parents should say to kids to make them feel a little bit more safe? Well, you want to ask a lot of open-ended questions. So, okay. For example, you want to go like um, something that comes, you know, something like, uh, so you know that we're going back to school on, on Tuesday. Um, so how do you feel about that? really nice open-ended questions as much as humanly possible you want them to elicit conversation um you try to steer away from the yes and the no's as much as humanly possible so you really want to let them feel free to dialogue so if they say they don't want to go back to school on tuesday what would you say to the parent as a as a a good response back ask them why okay so what is it that you know why don't you want to go back you know is there something there that's disconcerting to you you know is Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, one of my favorite catches is always tell me more. Tell me more about that. And that helps elicit that response, hopefully. Okay. So when should someone seek counseling in this whole process? Is there a timeline? 
Well, there's not really so much of a timeline per se. It's going to be again case by case because it's going to. When you're looking at behavior, you're looking on kind of anything from I'm having, you know, I'm not eating very well to you know homicidal, suicidal thoughts. You're looking at something on that spectrum. Behavior essentially is a spectrum. So you're looking at is there something? If obviously there's something regarding safety of uh, of anyone involved, that's going to be an immediate. Let's get that taken care of. But if it's someone who is just struggling with a little bit of sleep issues, uh, a lot of the times uh, sleep will reset itself if the if if it's allowed time um, but you're looking at you know kind of guess the catch-all is going to be anywhere from that one to 30 day window I mean if you're if you if you need a specific time mm-hmm. um, that's when you're kind of looking for because uh, typically what happens for most of the population something really bad happens all their systems get shaken up and then a little bit of time passes and then they start to reset themselves naturally um, generally speaking but there are going to be those cases where the 30-day window has happened again ballpark 30-day and they just they, you know they're still not sleeping they're still not you know they're not eating well they're they're being afraid constantly they're having nightmares uh, they're, they're having a lot of intrusive thoughts they're being very dissociative you know the kind of any number of those types of symptoms those are the things that you kind of want to look at when you're looking at um, whether or not to you know to seek a higher level of care you want to look at really is uh, is it impacting them clinically significantly? You know, is, is it making it so they can't go to work, can't go to school, you know, they're having problems sleeping, or the case would be you want to really kind of tie into that particular type of changes of behavior? Well, I know from my friends um, that have kids that were affected, a lot of the kids are saying, you know, Mom, I want to sleep with you tonight. Mm-hmm. How long should that go on before they're like, mm, maybe we should just go talk to a counselor? Well, Mom, I want to sleep with you is, again, depending on age, if we're talking really little kids, if we're talking high schoolers, for example, well, that's not a normal reaction. Um, I mean, it's it's an understandable reaction, but typically uh, you want to make it so they're still really, they have to know that they're safe, but they can keep themselves safe to an extent. So something like maybe sleeping in the same room, not necessarily in the same bed, and then at the same hand still phasing them out to getting back to, the, getting back to that normal routine because you want them to renormalize themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be biggest key because if you don't, then what you're doing is then you're helping to feed the idea that something is wrong. And then they're going to keep reacting to that because they're going to, their body's going to understand. The body's going to be like, okay, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, and then they're not going to be able to reset themselves very well. So you have to make them safe. Okay. So if you're a mom and you have your son or daughter that's like, hey, I want to sleep with you, should you say, let's try to sleep in your bed? Or what, what kind of conversation would you have with a parent to help them with their child? First thing is always going to be, tell me more. You know, you know, what is it about this situation? What, why is it that you can't sleep in your own bed? And elicit that, elicit that response again. And then try to figure out, you know, that happy medium again. If, if, you know, if the child really needs you that for that one night, well, let the child sleep in their bed. Pull up a pull up a chair right next to the bed, necessary, or assure the child, you know, I'll check, I'll check on you throughout the night. Whatever the case may be, um, and it's. If you're, and you're looking at only short term, though, if it's becoming long term, then there's more of a problem going mm-hmm. on, and that's something that you're going to want to be able to have to address. So, like, what is short term? Like a couple of days, a couple of weeks? No or? time frame. They're really, <laughs> I can't give you an answer because, because it's case by case. You know, I've known I've known plenty of patients who they had a traumatic event happen, and they were a little shaken up, but they're okay within you know, two or three days. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're a little disturbed, but they're okay. And then other ones who you know they never got over it. It just really depends. Michael Fisher, who is a counselor, he's been doing this for 18 years, military. He's done a lot of trauma 
counseling. So he knows oh. what he's talking about. And then we're going to talk to Dr. Candace Dunn, who's an internal medicine physician locally here in the Clear Lake area. Who's She's actually got an event coming up, too. So we're, we'll talk about your event. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit more on the adult side of things, how adults can cope with this. Because there's 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 so many aspects of this whole thing that we can talk about. How can we help kids? How can adults, you know, help themselves, help them kid, help their children, the whole gamut. So, all right, Michael, let's finish our conversation. What are the symptoms that you would say are you, we need to take a symptoms that a, a child may have. Um, and your the parents should say, we need to get you a counselor like right now. Well, I mean, the obvious one is endeavor suicidal homicidal ideation. Um, however, I will say that's very rare for the most part. Most most kiddos, um, when they have an event like this, they actually become more protective uh, of their of their own survival. Um, so generally, you're looking at any extreme forms of behavior where it could where it could cause some of, um, some sort of harm, such as not sleeping, not eating. Um, you know, always being anxious, always being fearful, uh, behaviors along those lines. You want to keep a kind of track on those. Um, and you definitely want to see, again, are they, are they readjusting back to how they were to a certain level before the event happened? Okay. So and I know that there's probably a lot of people talking about PTSD and we had this conversation a little bit earlier, but I just want to cover it because it's, it's happening and it's part of conversations, right? So will you see some kids have PTSD or not, or what, how, talk to me a little bit about that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and the reason I'm hesitant is because I, a lot of times after an event, we typically, we like to pathologize, like the categories, everything is a nice little box mm-hmm. um, uh, regarding diagnoses. So this person has PTSD, this person has depression, this person has this. Um, and that's an important conversation to have. But on the same hand, what you really want to have is a conversation of the symptoms associated with whatever the illness is. Um, for example, this PTSD falls in the anxiety family. It's, it's a trauma. It's trauma-based anxiety, essentially. So you want to pay more attention to all the, uh, all the symptoms of anxiety associated with that. But on the same hand, um, PTSD definitely is it possible? Absolutely, um, it, it's certainly very, very possible. But again, you're looking at not a large population. Even uh, you know, there's even there's even usually low numbers from people who are even military who have deployed who develop who come back and develop full blown PTSD after the adjustment phase. They typically go back to a certain level of normalcy. Um, they're they're affected by the life events, but any life event we have is going to affect us, whether it be good or bad. But it's that going back to that normalcy, which is very which is the key. So, what would you say is the most common reaction of kids after a certain situation? Is do are you going to see more anxiety or depression or are the, most of them just going to reset after a couple of weeks? What do you normally see with something like this? Most of them are going to reset. I mean, typically you'll see a lot of the times. Um, a lot of community draw gets drawn together, mm-hmm. um, at least for the for the immediate intimacy, uh, and because of the family systems or the case may be, and you'll see a lot of them kind of bond closer in that protective nature, um, and then. Uh, at the same hand, you'll have those outlier people who, uh, kiddos who are struggling more, possibly because they have their own previous trauma, which this has now helped to reinforce or help to kind of poke and, and dig at. Um, and those ones are going to be the more struggling. And it could be anywhere from depression, anxiety, um, anything anything in between. Again, looking at the whole spectrum of behavior. And you're looking again for them to, uh, that normalcy. And, and there really is no window. I mean, you're looking at most of them will reset in a very short period of time. Generally speaking, they're going to still be affected. Uh, undoubtedly for period, potentially throughout their life, but they should be able to generally be able to use, utilize their resiliency to be able to kind of get back to that normalcy. 
So speaking of getting back to normalcy, they're all going back to school on Tuesday. What kind of advice would you give to parents who have kids that are going to be going back to that school? Maybe it's even to the same class. How, how can they help their kids cope with that? Well, the first thing you got to you have to have the conversation uh, about the safety that we're going back to. I mean, you can do, and it can be very, and we're looking at case by case. There are going to be some kids where you can have a which is a very simple conversation. They're going to be okay. You know, they know that they're okay and they're going to be fine. Some of you may have to literally like drive around, walk to the class for the first time to kind of get them feeling safer. It's going to really in case by case, but ultimately, again, the the biggest thing is you have to have that conversation. You know, let them have, talk about, you know, how they're feeling going back into that and making sure that they have the support that they're going to need and it's going to be okay for them to use it. If, say, in the middle of a classroom, you know, they hear something, a very normal action, they hear a loud bang, and they have that reaction, and they may jump. They may jump really hard. Um, making sure it's okay for them to, if necessary, they can step out of the classroom, take a breather, call mom, call dad, what the case may be, so that they feel safer, and then they go back to the classroom um, along that lines. So what if the kids are saying that they don't want to go back to school? Again, you have to ask why. And what is it about that? You know, what is it now that, what is it that you're still struggling with? And then adjusting accordingly. I mean, definitely engaging the school is going to be very important. Uh, because you want to make sure, and as well, again, engaging, engaging the rest of the support systems. To be able to say, hey, you know, my kid is really struggling with this. You know, school counselors can help out. Teachers can help out. Because everybody's going to be adjusting to it. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to be on edge that first, that first week. Okay, so let's talk about kids that maybe go to different schools other than Santa Fe that uh, have a legitimate concern about going back to school and, and having something similar to that. What would you tell parents to have conversation-wise if, if their kids are starting to question their safety? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's really a conversation you have to have where you got to look at the statistics. It's not very common. I know that they're, they're, we've had, had a rush but in, in the grand scheme, though, you look at how many days a school happens and how many days a bad thing happens in a school, it's a very small number. But because it's right in our face, it's just like shark attacks. The chances of being attacked by a shark and killed by a shark are very small. They're there, but when they happen, we catch eye eye them. Recently, because we had more of a, we've had we've had more shooting incidents, we're more likely to pay attention, focus on, well, this is going to happen to me. Again, statistically, it's a very small, small number. So you want to kind of, again, talk about kind of those feelings and kind of talk about those processes. Okay, so let's talk about someone reaches out to you and they'd like some counseling. Mm-hmm. What's your process? Well, I mean, if you, uh, well, Cypress Creek is an acute hospital. So typically, if they're coming to reaching us, uh, there's only, we have the outpatient and then we have the inpatient. Inpatient is going to be for more your acute stabilization, acute care, um, where we're more of a secure facility, make sure that people are safe, we get them stabilized, we kind of help them out, we make them referrals. And then we have our outpatient clinic, which is going to have, you know, they're going to have a lot of groups, they're going to be able to process a lot of things. We have the kid and the adult. So really, all they have to do is call. I mean, we, we, we have assessments for free. We'll assess anybody for free automatically. Is that over the phone or they'll have to make an appointment to come up there well, they can, for they, an assessment? They can make an appointment or they can just show up um, either way. Oh, okay. Absolutely. We, we, all, we always take walk-ins. Okay. Where, so where is it located? Uh, Houston. North Houston. <laughs> I, I never paid. I, I, I mean, I never, oh, there it is. Okay. So 17750 Collie Drive. It's on my GPS. So, um, okay. Well, but, we'll put that in uh, the show notes and on the Your uh, Your Health Matters with Abby Lee uh, Facebook page, too. So people can check that out if they'd like to. 
So um, talk to me a little bit about, so someone says, I think that I want to do counseling. Do they come in once a week, twice a week? Do they do group? Do they do one-on-one? Talk to me about that. Well, it really depends on the therapist. Kind, <laughs> it <kind> depends. Of, <laughs> yeah. well, it does. Well, <laughs> you, you can't really yeah. get a straight answer of a therapist, to be honest with you, because we, because always it's, it's very gray. I mean, my wife personally hates gray areas why she works in finance. Um, there you it's, go. It's very gray because it's going to be case by case. I mean, for example, um, uh, if you look at the more traditional models, once a week, an hour a week, um, and you're doing, you're doing cognitive, pro- cognitive behavior therapy, you're looking at the very simple kind of life skill type stuff, and you can go to, and that could be done in a group, it could be individual, uh, and this, or the same hand, you can do some of the more intensive trauma-based, like prolonged exposure, EMDR, where when I, when I take on a patient with those particular trauma, with those modalities, I'm seeing them an hour and a half, two or three times a week, depending on the situation, until we get them to where they're more stable and more, and more able to process things, and then we may space it out. Okay, so are you seeing kids have more long-term effects after the fact? So like months, years down the road, they're still kind of dealing with this? Depends. Um, because there are kids who will, I mean, I've had numerous kids who were abused as children. I mean, adults who were abused as children. They're still struggling with that. And some kids, the minute after it happens, they start to heal, they start to process, and then they're good to go. They're still going to be affected by it in some way, shape, or form, but they're able to find that balance in between. It really depends on the support, depends on their resiliency. It, there's a lot of factors that kind of get featured into it. Is there anything that a parent can do to decrease long-term effects for their kids? Ultimately, it's going to be, again, providing that sense of normalcy, paying attention to those behaviors, being supportive, um, being caring, uh, and definitely uh, heavily would discourage people from thinking, well, you know, walk it off, get over it. It's a very old school mentality, but I still hear it now. Um, where it's like, you know, it happened, you know, two, three years ago, two years ago, five weeks ago, where the case may be, you're fine, you're good. Uh, you have to be, make it okay for them to feel what they're feeling. Before I move forward, I have been so bad in not answering the questions that are on Facebook because there's just so much ground to cover. There really is. So um, I'm going to say, hey, to a couple people, and then I see we have a question. So Karen, oh, we have two Karens and a Robin and Kim. Hi, you guys. Hi, Tegan. All right. So Ryan has a question. Should I be concerned with a small toddler watching these stories on the news? Hmm. Depends. I mean, again, it, it really, I would say basically it depends on is the, is the parent there helping the child to process, to understand. Because, I mean, you got to remember when you're looking at child development is that the, the, the world is so small for them. Their, their family, their media, their mom, their dad, that's it. That's their world. So anything beyond that, they really don't necessarily understand. So I would say probably limited. I mean, there's no reason that a child that small really needs to know all that information personally um, because it's not going to really have any effect on them. I mean, they don't really need to know. I mean, they watch the news and, you know, they can watch PJ Maxx or whatever the case may be. But, you know, on the same hand, it's... Yes, PJ Maxx or Vampirina. Vampirina, guys. Xander likes Vampirina, too. I don't know why. Sorry, random comment. But it's, uh, <laughs> I would say limited, and uh, if you if 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 as a parent, the, you know, the parent feels that they really need to talk about it, make it very simple, very concrete. They understand it, and then move on. Um, there's no reason to keep bringing up the issue. Um, it's going to be all around them, but on the same hand, they really, they honestly probably are not going to be all that attentive. Most of the time, it's the parents well, who are. Most of the time, it's going to be the parents who are worried about how it's affecting the kid versus the kid understanding what's happening. Because again, they, they don't understand. 
Okay, so here's another. We were just talking on break and had like 50 million other questions. <laughs> yeah. So should parents limit TV and media or TV and social, social media? media? Well, that's a big question. Um, I would say it's about finding the balance. I mean, it's I mean, it's one thing if a parent feels that, especially, I mean, it's all around us. I mean, unless you're going to go in the woods and hide in a bubble, um, it's going to be everywhere that you are. But it's a matter of how can the parent keep an eye on, you know, can they, can they find the balance between, okay, you know, watching this, doing this? Because, of the, like I said, we have such a responsive, responsive world that any information you want, I mean, I could look at my phone right now and pull up the news. Um, on your watch on my watch absolutely <laughs> absolutely so that is something that is different with this generation versus the with the previous generation which is the good doctor asked me that question is that because well, i have been doing this for so long what is the difference in generations different generation now versus when i first started doing this a long time ago is that it's all around them now it's everywhere it's it's where no matter where you, you go you can't turn it off you absolutely cannot mm-hmm. and we have 24-hour news versus you you know tv all those kids who are listening, TV used to turn itself off, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. But now it's 24-7. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other questions? No. Okay. So let's get to your questions. Okay. So parents that are dealing with this and they see their kids reacting, but the parents are affected too. Mm-hmm. They're concerned. How can the parents cope themselves? Um this is okay and i've asked him to stay because i'm not a psychiatrist i do take care of everyone in these situations and whatnot um a lot of it's going to be my two cents i'm glad i am a parent so i can answer some of these questions but you have to take care of yourself i think before you can take care of anyone else you are responsible for this little person whether they're 17 18 25 2 whatever you have to be okay before you can make sure that they're okay so that's going to entail checking in with yourself whether it's hourly daily monthly weekly I would say just daily to say, am I okay today? Yeah, I'm good. I can keep going. I've slept. I've eaten. I don't have any weird thoughts that I wasn't having previously. I don't feel different from how I normally feel. And like he was saying before with children, same with adults, there's going to be an adjustment period and you're going to be sad and you're going to be angry and you're going to want to do things. I think the difference between adults um, and children is we have a way to kind of keep that inside and we have... Um, more coping mechanisms than say a 17 year old obviously Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully I hope we do as adults Um, not not always not always it depends it depends Mm -hmm. it It depends it depends 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 on your background (laughs) it it depends on who you are it depends on 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 are you surrounded by family and friends in a community that you have all these people that you can reach out to, churches, counselors, friends, family, parents, everyone, or did you just move here and you don't know anyone? You know what I mean? So so it's a hard thing, but just what I wanna just make very clear is just check in with yourself every day for your basic needs of life before you try to take on the world. Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Do you feel safe? Right. So is so this is another question that I didn't ask you earlier is dealing with a traumatic experience kind of like the grieving is there a process like 
people say after you've lost a loved one, you go through the grieving process. Is there a process? Well, it, it, if I can add, uh, it depends. One, one, okay. it does absolutely does depend. Um, but I want to add one thing: is role modeling is also that important part. Self care, but when you're especially when you're dealing with the kids, you have to be able to role model self care right. because a lot of the times we we forget that part because the kids are looking at you. So if they see you I stressing, mean, yeah, they see then they're going to feed right into it. They're going right. to think, okay, well, something's wrong. Yeah. But if they see you processing, if you see if they see you trying, you going back to your normalcy to a certain level, you know, they're going to feel more comfortable with that because ultimately that. That helps make them feel safer. And I also think it's important to touch on what you said earlier about feelings. It is okay to feel what you feel. And I think it's okay in certain situations, and, and it depends on the situation, the child and your life and, and, and what your home <coughs> life is. But if you want to cry, it's okay to cry with your child. It's okay to show them that you are also upset because mm-hmm. that may validate their feelings, which mm-hmm. is what they need. Um, true. Very in this true. time. So it's it really does depend. <laughs> okay, so talk. Let's talk about survivor's guilt because I've seen a lot of people post about that recently. You know, they have kids that weren't really in the art class, or they, or in a different right, school district right. or whatever. Talk talk me through that. I'm going to say I don't. I can't. All, all I can say is like my kid is two and she should go to Santa Fe High School. I'm going to cry already. Jeez, like she should go to Santa Fe High School. And that's that's all I can talk about it. Like as far as survivor's guilt goes. So I'm going to give that to him. Sorry. All right. Uh, well, essentially, when you look at survivor's guilt, it's, you know, why wasn't it me? Should have been me. Um, especially it's very common because especially when you're looking at survivor's guilt, especially when you're dealing with parents, you know, they feel that's the same thing with first responders. You know, they feel that, especially if they are parents, you know, that was that, if they had my kid. And then they start to kind of, they had that transference going on. But essentially, survivor's guilt is, you know, it should have been me, you know, or what could I have done? Is the case. And they feel guilty. They literally feel guilty about surviving the incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a hard piece for them sometimes to get over and to find that balance with um, because they, because they, they tend to want to own it. So how does someone get over that? Depends. <laughs> uh, That's going to be the word of the day. It depends it on the person. It really yeah. does. It, I mean, uh, and they're talking about it, or it just, it just depends. It truly is one of those things that um, have you have to kind of process it through. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, it's finding that process that works for you and accepting. And part of it is that because when something happens, uh, especially when something traumatic happens, our brain is trying to is trying to make sense of it, right? So uh, when we lo- when we look at it, it's anxiety essentially is us trying to control. It's not being able to control the uncontrollable. But we have this illusion of that we can control it. So on that same hand, because of this traumatic event, we have this idea that if we somehow figure something out, then we could find we can make it makes sense to us. We can find you know it can make us feel safe again. And so we'll throw out all sorts of different things to try and make it work. Survivor's guilt. You know, I've had people who have survivor's guilt that, you know, were never even close to the area. I mean they weren't even in the same country. But they felt, well, that should have been me because I should have been this, I should have been this. And it's not. It's because they're trying to process it. And the closest they can do is if they feel if if they, if it gives a measure of account personal accountability, it helps them to make to try and make sense of it. Okay, so what about teachers and how how are how should they deal with going back to school? Either of you. <laughs> the same it depends. The same way as everyone else. Like check in with yourself. Do you feel safe going back to school? And if you don't, why don't why don't you feel safe going back to school? Especially if you're at a, a different school than where the event took place. Because I'm sure as a teacher, you have it in the back of your mind. Um, 
something could happen to me at school, whether it's something this large or just somebody, some anything. Um, you. It's all you. <laughs> all right. This no, is no. hard. It's a hard, it's it, a hard it, conversation it, it, it to have, and I'm glad yeah, yeah. we're having it. It, it, it touches right back to the things you already talked about, is that, again, the self-care and the role modeling. You know, if you're taking, if you're not taking care of yourself, there, it's going to be very noticeable. Um, and also, if, if you're wanting the kids to feel safer, then you should be able to help the role model those those appropriate behaviors of like you know if for example you know one of the kids gets triggered by something um, where you know it's like, you know, a loud noise where they jump up you know and helping them to kind of you know kind of normalize that response can be very important mm-hmm. and allowing them to be able to leave to take a breath that's what they need to make mm-hmm. themselves feel safer being able to role model in the point where you know you have to be able as a caregiver. Um, you have to be able to step aside and notice when you are struggling and you can care for yourself because one of the worst groups of self-care, in my opinion, have always been the caregivers because we're so focused on caring for other people that we really struggle with it for ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So can so say there's a parent um, who lost a child or um, a like one one of the teachers. Talk talk me through the grieving process. I I mean. Is like, what are the stages? You don't know. I mean, there are stages that we think of: acceptance, anger, all of those things. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not a linear way that people are going to go through those stages. Oh, okay. And there's not, not everyone is going to go through every single one of those stages. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. did not know that. No. Mm-hmm. After yes, you may not ever else. be angry. You may not ever accept. That's mm-hmm. where getting help and taking the the right steps and figuring out how to move from one from one day to the other from one minute to the next you know i wouldn't i don't think about it as stages of stages of grief i think about it as just being healthy and doing whatever you need to do to go on and live your normal life as normal as you can um, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, I'm a big big fan of counseling and and um, just mental health in general. What, whatever that means to you and whatever that means to everyone else, whether it's um, counseling, exercise, sleep, please everyone mm. sleep, make sure you are sleeping. Um, talking about it, whether it's talking about it in a support group or, or with your friends or family, stuff like that. Uh, I'll let you touch on like the actual specifics of grief, but but like I said, it's not. There's no linear. There's no. This is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to transition from denial to anger. This is how we're going to make that happen. There is that may not happen ever for someone. I did not um, know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, check that out. That makes right. me worry. Nothing sad has ever happened to you, and you've never oh, no. gone through. Okay, oh. so you. Oh yeah, well, you know. Yeah. You know. Did you go through every stage? <laughs> I don't, you know. don't know. I just. I just was at a certain point. I'm right. like, where am I on this stage? Exactly. Exactly. You just. It, I think. It just happens to you, and and I don't think it matters if you label what you are. I think it's important as far as the healing process, but I don't think like you need to walk around with a sign on your back saying, "Hi, I'm in denial." <laughs> right. I would really yeah. like to get to anger in the next month. Like that would be very helpful, you know. And some people may think that way, and it may work that way for them. It just depends on the person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the grieving process. I mean, the grieving process itself, I mean, it, it goes back to what was already mentioned before, is that it's not linear. Um, you may not go through certain stages, and you certainly won't go in a, in a nice, pretty little row. Um, it really fluctuates. I mean, the big important part when you're talking about healing from any type of events such as this is allowing it, the process to happen. 
you know, allowing yourself to feel whatever you're going to feel and process it. I mean, even when you go away from the grieving process, when you deal with anxiety type symptoms, um, the anxiety response is going to be avoiding behavior. You want to acknowledge that and you actually want to engage in things that help to not, to help to, uh, to separate from that avoiding behavior because avoidance just helps to helps your body to kind of feel that, okay, I'm still in danger. Mm-hmm. And that's the most common thing is that when you look at the most basic response we have is fight, flight, or, fr- or freeze. Most basic response we have. So after a traumatic event, we are still in that mode. And so the trick is to try and get back to where you were so your body doesn't feel so keyed up. And part of that is you have to go through the process. You have to, you have to acknowledge that healing. Okay, so if there's someone listening that uh, would like to reach out to you or some other counselors that you have, what's the phone number and website for people to uh, locate you guys? All right, so uh, we're like I said, we're Cypress Creek Hospital. We're in Houston, and I don't know my own phone number. Um, it's okay. Oh, we'll there post it is. It. I, I got it. I got it. I got okay. it. All right. So it's uh, so our access line is going to be two eight one five eight six five nine five six, and we're at www.cypresscreekhospital.com. Okay. And again, uh, that's a matter you can. We have the we always have somebody on the phones, so we have missions open twenty four seven any day of the week. So if anyone needs to talk to process, um, that's why we're there. Awesome. All right. So Dr. Dunn, when should someone talk to their physician? All the time. I think um, it's really important primary care physicians have a relationship with their patients, and I think they should just in general know what's going on in their life. Most of the time, big things, little things, whatever you want to share with them. But if you happen to go through something like this, no matter how you feel about it or any anything that you find to be a, a big event that is life-altering or that that, you know, makes an impression on you, tell your doctor. Because they'll watch you. They'll make sure. They'll make sure when you come in, even if you only see them every year, maybe they'll see you a little more often and just make sure that you're acting the same. They'll talk to you about your sleep. They'll talk to you about, you know, we really will. We'll, we're good at what we do. We probe and we and we, we try to pay attention. Um, so I would say always tell your doctor anything big that happens in your life. Um, that being said, if you don't see a doctor regularly or somebody that knows you really well um, or that you have a relationship with, if you start to notice that your sleep is off, that you just don't feel right, if anyone in your um, in your circle Okay, your circle of trust, your your support system mentions anything to you like, hey, you just don't seem yourself or or you're sad or you've been down or or you're kind of holed up or or you've been acting crazy and you're spending money like crazy and that's normally not like you. I think it would it would behoove you to to talk to somebody, whether it's your primary care physician, you want to reach out to a counselor, whoever you feel comfortable with in the medical field or in the mental health field. Okay. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your event. So you're you're like you've created this event, I think, right? Like I did. you are like the rock star it, do making all I this would, happen. No, there is now a whole team of rock stars and people and and I'm okay, so here's what happened. I'm not at work, I'm on maternity leave and this happens and I get on the phone real quick and ask my husband, "Hey, can we just have a cook-off real quick?" like to benefit and it has exploded with people just wanting to to help and donating things and donating their time and wanting to just 
help the victims and all of them the the district everything the community whatever they need um so the event is going to be june 3rd that's a sunday uh it's going to start at 1 p.m it's at the galveston county fairground so we're actually co-sponsoring i guess i a human can co-sponsor <laughs> something um with the galveston county um fair and rodeo in fairgrounds themselves okay. um, we have the junior league helping us out we have multiple multiple uh businesses around the community helping us out we have numerous major league baseball teams contacting us to to send stuff or see what they can do so what it's going to be it's going to start at 1 p.m it's out at the fairgrounds entry is free we're going to be selling um barbecue plates for ten dollars for adults five dollars for kids um there's going to be it's family friendly there's no alcohol. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but there's going to be a kids area where we're going to have things for those little little humans to do. All ages. Like two, two-year-olds will have something to do and the 10-year-olds will have something to do. And there will be face painting and stuff like that. There's going to be live bands. Um, we also are partnering with a group called um, Cruise for a Cause. It's where people get together and they drive for a cause. So there's going to be 1,000 neat cars there to look at. So oh, it's cool. going to be big, guys. It's going to wow. be really big. Um, if you Who benefits from it? Um, all of our money is going to go to the Santa Fe ISD nonprofit that they've the bank account that they've set up with Texas. You're, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, is there a bug behind me? <laughs> no. I was like, what like, is happening uh, right now? How much time Stop. do we have left? Okay. Um, I'm sure everyone's seen it because like everyone else, they're all over Facebook. And it's been shared on social media thousands of times. The Santa Fe, non, Santa Fe ISD nonprofit has set up a donation um, website and bank account, everything that's going to go straight to their nonprofit. So all of this, 100% of the money um, will be dealt with by the Junior League of Galveston County. So it's a it's a nonprofit organization. So if you want to make donations, we can make that stuff happen easily for you. And then it will all go to them. And they're in this moment figuring out they're getting a lot more than I think they expected to. I'm sure. Because it's only Tuesday. So they're figuring out what to do with those funds at this point. Okay. So how can people get involved if they want to volunteer? Okay. So we have, we need all the things. Yes. So we have a Facebook event page, which, um, we can link to here or there is an email address at the bottom of the flyer that I think you've already posted as well. Mm -hmm. Or I think my Facebook page is now not hidden anymore from anyone because I, everyone can find me. So I think my name on Facebook is either Candace Dunn or Candace Marie. And the picture is actually, uh, the flyer for the event so awesome so are there local businesses that can be involved as well all all the local businesses that want to be involved can be involved in some way or another we've got cook-off teams we've got people um donating for the silent auction live auction oh you're having auctions all the things yes all the things if any local businesses want to make donations for I don't know the, anything that you can think of that we would need for this. We're we're more than happy. Hey Abby, if you uh, get me all the information that you want up, I can put it up on vinyldraftradio.com. And if they just click on uh, click on links and guests, it'll I can put it all up there. Oh, awesome! Very cool. Yeah, we can do that. Cool. Yay! Awesome. Anything else you want to say about the event, um, guys? It's going to be awesome, but it's going to be hot. Wear so, sunscreen. We're going to have a sunscreen booth. <laughs> Yay! I like I'm that. I'm a doctor. Yes. 
<laughs> Safety first, guys. Um, but what I, I, I also want to say, um, and I think you will do this, is there are so many resources here in Galveston County and Harris County around the area that I think most people don't know about for situations like this. There are counselors. There are grief support groups. There are There is so much. And if anyone needs help getting in touch with anyone, like please do not hesitate to contact me. Um, even if you Google my name, you I'll pop up everywhere. You can find my office number. You can call. Like, I think all of us are more than happy to help with anything anyone needs. Yep, and I have a ton of resources yeah. already on the Your Health Matters by, with Abby Lee Facebook page too. So, and I have your event on there. All sorts of all sorts of resources for yeah. people on there. So, I just want to say, if y'all can't make it out on Sunday, Jan- June third, there are events going on that are all going to benefit um and all go all the money goes to the same place so if you can't make it out on my day please try to make it out on on any of these any of these days what time does your event end when it ends oh okay yeah i mean it's sunday not like midnight and there's no alcohol (laughs) true 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 (laughs) people have to go to work right (laughs) yeah okay thank you so much for being on today and sharing the information that you're having that is so cool that you're like we're gonna make an event and let's do this Mm -hmm. yes and thank you michael for being on Mm -hmm. today so excited so so thankful for you guys to be on and talk about this because it's a hard conversation to have but i think it's a conversation that needs to be had uh next week you guys come back at four o'clock on Tuesday. We're going to talk to Dr. Malillo about knees and hips and fun orthopedic stuff. So we'll see you next week.